we're all made by the Father. We're all created by him, so we all have experienced guilt. And you know that thing where it can range from the small things that you just keep doing over and over. You know, in Romans where Paul says, I keep doing the things I know I shouldn't do and I don't want to do, but I do them anyway. And my heart wants to do other things and I long to do other things, but the sin in my flesh just keeps me back. And, and I don't know about you, but I'm constantly struggling with stuff like that. I constantly, you know, you go into the, you go into the kitchen and you're like, oh God, why can't I just get this? Why am I still doing things like this? I've been saved now for, what is it? I don't know, 11 years, 12 years, 13 years. Why can I not just get this, God? And then you have the sins that you still deal with that you're just like, God, I just want rid of these things. And so I want to look at this morning. I know everyone in here, the way you're looking at me, you all can relate with that. And I'm sure we could hear stories up here of how guilt has just completely riddled people. But I want to get rid of that this morning because I believe that's where the devil wants us. He wants us to be under a complete burden and weight of our guilt. And the reason he wants that is because of, of Jenna's vision that she had. He wants us to concentrate on the guilt instead of looking towards him for new perspective. And if you think of an eagle, an eagle is meant to soar. And we are talked of, we're supposed to soar with the eagles. And to soar, you have to get to a place where you're dependent on something other than your ability. You just have to, you know, you have to get up to the air and you just have to be there. And so the devil puts weights upon weights on us with guilt and shame so that we cannot get up and we cannot even start to fly, never mind soar. And he loves us being in that place. He loves standing on our neck and saying, you're the dirt. And so I want to get us out of that this morning. He wants us living in the past. And I wrote this down this week and I've been saying it over and over to myself. He wants to keep us as a man of yesterday so we miss our today and tomorrow. He wants to remind us of guilt and shame of our past so that he stops doing what, he, what the Father has for us today and the great future and hope that he has for us tomorrow. And so uh, as I was just praying, God, what do you want me to do on hardness? What do you want me to do on the soil? And I'm not a farmer like Neville. I was out in a tractor a couple of times and ear fell out of it and couldn't put it into hair and didn't know what the, the turtle was for. I asked Neville about that. But I started reading, uh, I was reading Second Corinthians in my daily readings um, last month. And I was reading it in the Passion Translation, and it says this. And so this is a response. If you know the, the letter to Galatians, this, this was actually said to have been the third one. But in our book, it's the second one. And um, the first one is a response to all the nonsense that's going on in the church. And if you read Corinthians, it's like, it's rated 18. There's a lot of stuff going on in Corinthians that we are ashamed to even think went on in a church. And so Paul was like, you can't do this. This is the response. This is what you need to do. This is how you actually should be doing it. Why on earth are you doing this? My goodness, that's not what I taught you. And so in 2 Corinthians 7, he says this as a response to that. Even if my letter made you sorrowful, I don't regret sending it. And in in brackets, it says this in the Passion. Even though I felt awful for a moment when I heard it grieved you, he felt awful for just a moment. I felt awful in the flesh. But anyway, he goes on to say, now I'm overjoyed. Not because it made you sad, but because your grief led to deep repentance. You experienced godly sorrow, and as God intended, it brought about gain and not loss, so that no harm has been done by us. God designed us to feel remorse over sin in order to produce repentance that leads to victory or salvation or deliverance. This leaves us with no regrets, but the sorrow of the world works death. Do you see the the contrast there? What the devil wants you to think of guilt? 
God intends for godly sorrow and grief and remorse, not guilt and regret. God wants us to look from his perspective and go, my goodness, I cannot live like this any longer. But I have a hope. He doesn't want us riddled with guilt. Guilt and regret, according to 2 Corinthians, lead to death. But godly grief leads to victory. A victory that's already been won. A victory that we can read about in Revelation. A victory I've told you so many times that my granny slams on the ground and says to the devil, you read that, you lose. I love it. But do you know where guilt comes from? This was a revelation to me this week. It's not so much of a revelation. But all guilt comes from our decisions. All guilt comes from your and my decisions. Nowhere else. It comes from your and my decisions and our response to that. Whether or not we let the devil get in and annoy us and put the weight, or whether or not we give it off to the Father and respond to it in the way that he created us to do. Guilt's very powerful, and it has a subtle way of affecting us both physically, spiritually, and mentally. Physically, spiritually, and mentally, guilt can completely ruin a person's life. It affects your mood. Many people are guilty of that. It affects your mood. You don't need to put your hand up in. It affects your outlook on life. Something could happen that just completely brings you down in a moment. And for the rest of that day, your outlook on life is completely different to it was an hour before. And this all comes from our hope and our security in the Father and who we are. We're going to get on to that later. But the devil uses it to manipulate us. He uses it to steal our joy. He uses it to strangle our past and keep us back there. It's almost like a noose like a cowboy has. He puts it around our neck and he pulls us back so that we cannot go forward. And he wants to strangle our future with the guilt of the past. It can also create bitterness to God. Have you ever had that thing? where you haven't read in a day or two or three or a week or two or three or a month or two or three or maybe a year or two or three. And you come back in through the door and you say, right, getting my Bible out, I'm going to do it. And all of a sudden your view of God comes into play because of the guilt in your heart that's not from God, but it's from the devil. And you hear this little voice strangling you saying, why on earth would God want to speak to you today? Why on earth would the living word be living for you today? Sure, you haven't talked to him in years. You haven't desired him until something's went wrong in your life. And so guilt can manipulate our view of God. Not his view of us, but our view of God. And do you know what else it can do? It can cause us to project that view of God onto others around us. As I've went into this this week, I've seen how much guilt can control my life and your life. And I've realized that there's some days I went out, and it's happened this weekend, I've had to repent. People know I'm having a bad day. And then the guilt of that day brings you down. And then the guilt of the way you responded gets you down. And so on and so forth. And I project my view of how I think God feels about my guilt on the other people around me. And they get that view of God instead of the correct view of God. They get my perspective and not his perspective. But the Bible wants to tell us so much more. The Bible tells us different. In John 10, 27, it says that my sheep know my voice. 
And so I need to learn to hear the cracked voice. I need to learn to respond in the cracked way. And I need a godly perspective. So instead of being on the ground looking at my broken leg, I need to be up here looking down. My boys pray. pray. Yeah, they pray too. But they play uh, Minecraft. And in Minecraft, you can press a wee button where you go up and have a view over the empire. And God's saying to you and me, sometimes from here, it's, it's, it doesn't look like... You know, it doesn't look like there's a way out. But you have a wee button that can give you a view of the empire. Gives you my perspective on things. And with guilt, I'm pleading and asking you to have my perspective. It tells us in Matthew 11.30 that my burden is easy and my yoke is light. And what I realized here is that within guilt and decisions that we make, we place self-expectations. It's not God that places them on us. It's not God that says... Every single day at this time, you have to do this. You have to behave in this way. You have to, there are certain things, don't get me wrong, New Testament, it's a way to live. But we place expectations on ourselves that when they don't come through, we have guilt and shame and the devil's saying, that's exactly where I want you. doesn't need TV in hell because he's watching us as a game show thinking, this is exactly where I've got you. This is where I want you. This is so entertaining. If only you knew. In Revelation 12 verse 10, it tells us that he is the accuser. And so for too many times we think, God's the accuser. God's accusing me. I haven't seen him. I haven't been with him. I've done this. I've done that. I've had these thoughts. I've responded in this way. I've done something I shouldn't have. He's the accuser, but he is not the accuser. If you feel accusations after, after sin, if you have guilt, those are either leading you to godly repentance and sorrow where you're under the weight of the sorrow. You're like, God, I cannot live like this anymore and I know my way out is you. Not, I can't live like this and I'm going to get worse and worse and worse and come under the burden more and more and more. In John ten eleven, it says that he is the good shepherd. He's not the judgmental shepherd. He is the judge, but he's not the judgmental shepherd. He's not the deaf shepherd. He's not the bad mood shepherd. He's the good shepherd. And it's the goodness of God that draws people to him. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. And godly sorrow is the goodness that draws us to him. The devil wants us to be ridden with guilt because he wants us to miss what God has for us in life. You know that this guilt can become a wall between us and God. It, it, it keeps us from, you know, it can just keep us from seeing truth and grace. It keeps us on the wrong side of truth and grace. And you know what? There's only so much we can physically do by saying yes. What it takes is faith. What it takes is faith and grace. And being able to say, God, you know everything about me. In fact, First John um, 3.20 says this. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings because he knows everything. He already knows everything. And dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence and faith. And so guilt robs us of our confidence of coming before God with the authority as his children. With authority as sons and daughters of Christ. Instead, we go like this to the throne. And it's okay to have reverence. That's for another day where we talk about this. But this is the way we come in. God, I'm so sorry I'm riddled with guilt. I'm riddled with sin. And it's good to have godly repentance. But what he is looking for is we walk in and go, Father, I'm here. And I need some advice on this today. And listen, I know I've messed up, but I know you love me. 
I know your perspective on my life and I know that you knew I was going to do it and I know that you know I've done it, but I need to get rid of this guilt and shame because I know that if I don't, the devil's going to use it. Guilt can enslave us of our view of God and it can make us have a work-based religion. And so we think, right, if only I can commit to doing my yearly, my yearly plan. And by the way, in all this, remember, it's good to have a yearly plan. I have my yearly plan. But I'm going to commit. I'm not going to miss a day. And if I don't miss a day, then that's a tick. And it's so like what we heard about Islam yesterday from Gareth, where they don't know, they don't have a confident assurance of what lies ahead. So they have to continue to get notches on their belt and ticks against them. So when they come to that bridge, they either say yes or no. And so sometimes because of guilt, we treat God that way, where we're like, God, I'll do this for you. Instead of believing in grace and truth that, God has dealt with all our sin. All we have to do is confess it before him. It's kind of like a slave versus a free man. If I have a field and a slave is working it, he will work it because he's told to and because that's what he's supposed to do. But if I say, this is your land, it's a whole different perspective to how you work it and how you look after it and how you care for it. And God is not saying, work here and do what you're told. God is saying, I'm giving this as your inheritance. This is our domain. This is your realm right here, right now. And to work it well, I want to take the guilt and shame. And I want to take your burdens because this is yours. And I want to see you flourish in what I've given you. Psalm 131. It says this. Sorry, 130. Lord, I cry out to you in the depths of my despair. Hear my voice, O Lord, and answer this prayer. And hear my plea for mercy. Lord, if you measured us and marked us with our sins, who would ever have their prayers answered? But your forgiving love is what makes you so wonderful. No wonder you're loved and worshipped. This is, this is why I wait upon you, expecting your breakthrough, for your words bring me hope. I long for you more than any watchman would long for the morning light. I will watch and wait for you, O God, throughout the night. O Israel, keep hoping, keep trusting, and keep waiting on the Lord, for he is tender-hearted, kind and forgiving. He has a thousand ways to set you free. He himself will redeem you. He will ransom you from the cruel slavery of your sins. Isn't that powerful? James 2 verse 12 also says this. So we must both speak and act in every respect like those who are destined to be tried by the perfect law of liberty. Liberty means the state of being free from within um, society, from oppressive restrictions imposed by authority. 13. And remember that judgment shows no mercy to the one who judges others with mercy. So by showing mercy, you take dominion over judgment. This is another thing we need to be very careful of. The guilt that we have causes us to judge others. I've noticed that I judge people more harshly in the thing that I know maybe I'm struggling with. Have you ever noticed that? And so it causes us to judge others. But what it says here is by taking, it takes dominion over judgment when you show mercy. It pushes the devil back when you show mercy. And it's key that we get rid of this because... We need to live in a place of freedom so that we can bring freedom to others. I heard a great story yesterday with Jason at the conference and he was talking about this young girl, teenage mom, who came from a Christian family background. She 
had a baby out of wedlock and she was feeling shame and she, was, and she came into the church and all they did was love her. And that girl now is in a passionate relationship with Jesus and they love her child and they love her. And God is saying, there are people out there who you may be the only person they encounter and if you judge them, they'll push them away. But if you come in your freedom because of mercy and grace, then you're going to draw them to the kingdom. Then you're going to invite the kingdom to come into their lives. All of what we're talking about affects the conditions of the soil. But there's a solution. There's a spiritual one, and then I'm going to finish off with a practical one. But the spiritual one is this. It all comes down to the condition of your heart. It comes down to knowing who you are and knowing you're loved. Knowing your identity. Yesterday, Eugene Smith said that when Jesus was being baptized, he walked into the water and the father came down and says, this is my son. This is my son. And then when Jesus went out into the wilderness, the first question the devil asked was, are you sure you're the son of God? If you really are the son of God? And the first thing the devil will do is make us question who we are. And so through guilt, he will make us question who we are and what we carry, and what we can do with who we are. So a couple of weeks ago, Nicola got a new phone, and my boys wanted her old pink phone. And we said, you can have it, but you do not touch the charger, okay, for obvious reasons. You do not touch the charger. They're not teenagers, by the way. They're five, or what is it? Seven and five. Eight and five, sorry. So you're not allowed to touch the charger, okay? Deal? If I see you touching the charger... You're in trouble. Probably the wrong way to put it, but you're in trouble. So I walked into the room a couple of weeks ago, and the charger was sitting there, and they were charging the pink phone. I was like, who touched the charger? It was him. It was him. They blamed each other. And so I went into them, and I sat down, and I explained to them, and I said, listen, I was cross that he took the charger, but now I'm cross because you're lying to me. And so if you tell me who took the charger, I will not punish you. But if you don't tell me, I will punish you both. And so I left them at that. And ten minutes later, they came down the stairs, both of them together, and they looked at each other like, right. (laughs) (laughs) And Daniel says, I told Joshua to get it. And Joshua said, I went and got it. And so how could you argue with that? But in the middle of that, in the middle of that, what I realized was that punishment comes from rebellion, not from repentance. And so I wasn't cross that they had done something. I was cross that they hadn't confessed it to me. And so the father's not cross at that, but the father's just long and confess it to me because I already know it. But for your good, you need to get it off because I know that what it can become. I know that this small seed can become so much bigger in the hands of the devil who wants to corrupt it. And that's why I have a daily practice of repentance, not because it's something that I have to do. Well, I do have to do it. I feel like I have to do it. I love it but because I know the importance of every day naming off things that have driven me down. And they may not even be that bad, but I'm like, God, I've done this. I've said this. I've behaved like this. I just need you to take it off me today. Um, Too Busy Not to Pray, that came out of by Bill Hybels. It's a great beginner's book just about prayer. It really helped me at the start. Luke 10, verse 20 to 22 says this. Father, you have entrusted me with all that you are, and all that you have. No one fully knows the Son except the Father, and no one fully knows the Father except the Son. But the Son is able to introduce and reveal the Father to anyone he chooses. 
This is where our identity comes from. And as I was reading this, I got this picture of um, me standing outside the door. I'm a mum, you know, licking her hand and rubbing my face down and making sure I was clean. And with that, I took the hand of Jesus and Jesus walks in. It's okay. It's okay, David. I'm just introducing you to your new father. And I walk in through the door. And he's like, Father, this is, this is David. He's part of our family now. And as he does that, he introduces you to the Father, and the Father says, brilliant, this is what's yours. And that's where we need to respond to guilt out of, out of the fact that, wait a minute, I know who I am, don't you try and tell me who you think I am. I long to behave like the Son. I long to behave like Jesus. And just like Paul, I could read that verse over and over, because I want to do it, and I can't do it, and I just seem to not be able to do it. And then when I try to do it, I can't do it, and... I can imagine what he was thinking when he was writing that. He's inviting us to spend time with him because as we spend time, we behold, and as we behold him, we become. That's the key. I know it sounds very simple and very spiritual, but the key is spending time with the Father. I know I gave this illustration last week to the young people, but I'll do it again because it's really good, and I stole it from somebody else. But imagine that you want to be Ronaldo, greatest footballer in the world, quite a handsome young fella. So I go and get my hair cut like him. I buy the boots, the Nike ones with his number. They're extortionate prices. I get the socks. I have the bright colored t-shirts, the Ferrari, but mine's from um, Toys R Us and it's only this size. And I drive up to the football field and every Saturday I strive to become like Ronaldo by getting on the field one hour a week. But the difference is with Ronaldo that he made a choice at six years old to say, I want to be the best. And by making that choice, he decided that what I eat, what I say, what I do, how I live, is all circled around this one thing, becoming the best. And so he cannot just go out on the Saturday and be the best. His life has to be structured around being the best so that he doesn't just perform on a Saturday. It comes out of the overflow of who naturally he is. And so that's what I want to tell you this morning, that we no longer can operate out of performance and in the spare of the moment on a Sunday or when we're put on the spot. But what I want to tell you is that you need to make a commitment in your life to say, I want to live out of the overflow because of who I am in every moment of the day. Yes, you're allowed to muck up. Yes, you're allowed. But the difference is I respond out of sonship and not out of slavery. And again, another one I used was a guy called Tony Dungay. And he wrote this book, and I love it. It's called Dare to be Uncommon, because we are meant to be uncommon. And Tony Dungy, or Dungy, was um, seen as, what on earth are you doing to be a coach? But he brought a a high school team, and they won the, whatever it was, state championship. He went to a university team, and they went from nobodies to the best in the land. And then he went to Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who it's like Leeds United, and he brought them up, and they ended up winning the Super Bowl. And the key was this, sorry if you've heard this before, but the key was this. They took the 30-page the uh, rule book with all the plays and they threw it out. It's just too complicated. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take six plays and we're going to practice them over and over and over and over and over and over and over until they become a part of who you are. And so in doing this, what happened was they went out on the field on a Sunday and they were a split second faster than everyone else. Because they weren't responding in the moment. They were living it out every single day. 
that it became a natural part of their body and their response, and it was wired into them. And so he became the best coach in the world. He's also a Christian, biblical principles. And so I want to say to you this morning that it needs to become a natural part of who you are so that you don't just respond in the moment with what should I do, but this is what I know that I can do and should do and will do. Sean Bowles um, was talking a couple of months ago and he talked about a study called attachment theory. And I believe this is the key to our relationship with our father and understanding who, they, who we are. He said this, that kids who didn't get attached within the first three to five years, so this is kids that are in orphanages and so on, um, that they had to be taught how to recreate the attachment to their parents. So that sense of belonging, that sense of identity, who they were, they didn't know it. And so they actually found that within 90 days, if the child did not stray more than five meters from their new parent, their brain actually rewired itself uh, through, this is a big word, neuropathways to learn how to attach themselves to their new mom and dad. And so it mean, meant that they belonged to the person. So in their brain, things from the past, it wasn't completely gone, but it was rewired to where I actually belong here. So God has made our brains to be able to be rewired when we belong and when we're connected and have a relationship. And so if that can happen naturally in the physical, I believe that that can happen naturally in the supernatural. So this morning, if you're longing for connection, sometimes it's going to take more than one or two or three days of saying, God, right, I want to connect with you. It's going to take maybe more than a week. I remember back at one stage in my life, three months, I sought the Lord and nothing. And then one day it was just like a brick wall came down and floods of, of God came at me. And that doesn't happen very often. But sometimes God's saying, I want, I want you to persist after me. I want you to persist after me. So practically, practically as I finish off, and that means there's still... Seven to ten minutes, okay? I believe there's some practical things that we can do in response to this guilt, in response to limiting the amount of times in our life so we know who we are, we know how to deal with the guilt, but we still have to practically limit the amount of times that we have to come to God and say, listen, I'm sorry, I've done that again. We want to get off the spiritual milk and we want to start eating actual food and we want to be effective for the kingdom of God. And so... uh, it all comes down to our decisions. And do you know what I find the number one cause of me making bad decisions? is poor planning. A great friend of mine used to say, prior preparation prevents poor performance. And we fail to plan ahead. You know that nobody plans to mess up their lives. But also, on the same hand, the problem is that few plan not to mess up their lives. Few plan to go out today and say, I'm going to become an alcoholic. I'm going to be jealous today. I'm going to lust today. You know what? I think I'll be angry today. I make that decision. Some people, I think some people in life do make that decision. We don't plan to do that, but we don't plan not to. And again, it's that response in the moment instead of the overflow. You know you measure overflow by how much is coming out, not by how much is in the vessel. And so we don't put up safeguards to protect us. You know that no one plans to destroy their marriage. But we take few precautions to ensure that as long as we both shall live, we make wrong decisions. 
You know that more than half of all UK marriages right now end in divorce. And we as the church are called to be different. We're called to care about stuff like that with helping people make the right decisions. And this morning I just want to finish with three questions that I've started implementing into my life. And I've found them really helpful. And they're really good for cultivating soil. They're really good for stopping and making decisions. And the basis of the question is this. What is the wise choice? Proverbs 1 says this in, uh, in the Passion Translation. Here are kingdom's revelations, words to live by, and words of wisdom given. This is the key. To empower you to reign in life. Not be the boss, not have all the power, but to reign. And people will come to you and say, how do you cope like this in this situation? Because I'm reigning, because my father is the king. And because this is the overflow, when you spend time with them, you begin to reign. And people look at you and say, there's something different about them. Written as Proverbs by Israel's King Solomon, David's son. Within these sayings will be found the revelation of wisdom and the impartation of spiritual understanding. Use them as keys to unlock the treasures of true knowledge. Those who cling to these words will receive discipline and demonstrate wisdom in every relationship. And to choose what is right and just and fair, these proverbs will give the great skill to teach the immature and make them wise, to give youth their understanding of their destiny and their design. For the wise, these proverbs will make you even wiser. And for those, who, those with discernment, you will be able to acquire brilliant strategies for leadership. These kingdom revelations will break open your understanding to unveil the deeper meaning of parables, poetic riddles, and epigrams, and to unravel the words and enigmas of the wise. And so God, do you know what I've just started doing? I've just started saying in every situation, in every meeting, in every conversation, God, I ask for your spirit of wisdom in the middle of this, because I am really stupid sometimes. And I say the wrong thing. And I say, maybe say the right thing, but say it in the wrong way. Or I'm insensitive, or I make the wrong choices because I let me get myself into situations where I shouldn't be. And so every morning now, I say, God, I just ask for the spirit of wisdom to flow through me today. And when it doesn't, it's because I'm choosing not to listen to it. And so we need to get away from this. The not, is there anything wrong with it? Not how close can I get between the line of right and wrong without actually doing something wrong. Not how close can I get to sin without actually sinning. You know, Slimming World's a good one for this. They actually call their, you know, their food sins. And so I remember doing Slimming World a long time ago. And uh, I did lose weight, actually. But it was like, how many sins can I have today you know, to, to, to push it? And it literally is, how close can I get to the line where I'm still going to lose weight and when I go to a meeting, I didn't go to any meetings. When I go to the meeting, I stand on the scales and I don't feel shame and guilt. And it's within dating as well. If you're single, it's within dating. We're like, how, how close can we get to the line? How, how much of this can I put into my body without, without people knowing or without it becoming a sin or without it affecting my everyday life? Is this unethical? I don't think it's unethical. It's not immoral. It's not insensitive. It's not actually in the Bible. How much can I do without there actually being consequences to what I'm doing? And how much can I do without it becoming unmanageable? And these are all questions that I guarantee we've all asked in our lives. 
or said to ourselves. And they all lead to the famous, how did I get myself into this mess? How did I get myself into this mess? Do you remember the song by uh, Casting Crowns? It's a slow fade that gives the, gives the soul away or gives the heart away. It's a slow fade. It's that second glance. That second or third cup. It's that, I'm just having a bad day. I'm angry. I'll, it'll be okay. I'll deal with it later. It's that, send something to your wife and taking a long time to say sorry. I'll get there sometime. There's so many small things that the devil uses that will build up and build up and build up. And so we need to get away from the question, is there anything wrong with it? And say, is it the wise thing to do? Because we are meant to reign in life. We're not just meant to coast along. We're meant to reign in life. And the purpose of these three questions is so that we can analyze every opportunity and give the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to come in and say, listen, that's a bad decision. It's to give time for us to say, Spirit of Wisdom, I need your help right here. And you know, there's also another way guilt comes in. Sometimes we, we don't do things that we know we're supposed to do. And so sometimes that Spirit of Wisdom will say, listen, I want to remind you, you actually said to that person you're going to do this, or you committed to me that you weren't going to do this again. So these are the three questions. I'm nearly there. The first one is looking back. So in light of your past experience, in light of your past, what's the wise choice for me to make today? Andy Stanley says this, your personal history is unique to you and the sum of your past experience predisposes you towards specific weaknesses and strengths in relationships, in finances, career, etc. For example, your personal history makes you more prone to temptation in some areas than others. So because of what you've been through, and maybe you know stuff about you that other people don't, I guarantee we all know something about ourselves that other people don't. Is it wise for me to make this decision in light of my past? So we can use it to filter the decision that we're making in the present. And chances are, because of your past, there's places that you and me should not go. There are people that you and me should not hang out with. There are things that you and me should not watch, and so on, and so on. And the other thing is, we need to be very careful here in Christian circles that just because someone else who knows Jesus can do it and doesn't struggle with it doesn't mean and give us the opportunity to judge them. Because the mercy thing also falls on your brother and sister in Christ. So for example... Credit cards aren't bad. When I first met Ronnie, credit cards were bad. But since I've come into a relationship with Ronnie, he's taught me how to use them wisely. And so they're not bad. But if you have crazy financial past, then a credit card at 65% interest is not the thing for you. Or those payday loans at 1,030% are not the thing for you. But if you know how to use them wisely, then that's okay. If you are out of a bad relationship, the wise thing is not for you tomorrow to go, I'm just going to get myself another, another boyfriend or girlfriend here. It's fine. I'll deal with what happened. The wise thing is, right, Holy Spirit, I'm going to take time. I'm going to take time. I'm not going to make any choices for a while yet. And I'm going to seek you in my decisions. Those are just some things that we can 
There's uh, people get rid of satellite TV. People get rid of, of internet or put blocks on it. People stop dating. People uh, have these problems with food, with alcohol, with jealousy. I think we could go on all day with the lists of what we can put this into practice in. But also lastly, looking back, there are things in our past because of who our family are that can predispose things that we need to stay away from. And yes, I don't know the scientific stuff of it with genes and so on, but what I got as I prayed about this this morning was, say for instance there's a, a thing of addiction in your family, and I don't know the ins and outs of that can be passed down, but what I felt was this. Whether or not it can be passed down or not, the devil's going to use it. And he's going to say to you, you know that there's a few people in your past have struggled with the same thing in your family. You're going to be the same. Or it's okay, go for it. And so the devil has the power to manipulate family history, even without genes or even without the science. He has the power to manipulate in your mind for you to behave in a certain way. So this question, in light of my past experience or in light of my family history, what's the wise choice? Number two is the present. In light of my present circumstances, what's the right choice? One writer says this, life is seasonal. Today's sorrow will be replaced by tomorrow's joy. Today's anger will probably be tempered with tomorrow's perspective. Today's worry will be replaced by tomorrow's concerns. As Jesus taught, each day has its own worries. If we are not careful, we will allow the pressure, fears, and circumstances of today to drive us to make decisions that we will regret tomorrow. So again, we're to ask, Holy Spirit, Spirit of Wisdom, in light of my present circumstances, what is the wise decision? Do you know most of my apologies I've said it have come from in the spur of the moment reactions and responses without taking time to step back and go, Holy Spirit, Wisdom, what's the right response here? And so for you and me, what is okay now might not be okay in another season. So to put this into perspective, Ronnie's apparently announced it the other night. I didn't hear it. But because my wife is pregnant again, is that right? I have to relook at my schedule for the next year and think there's a lot of places I cannot go. There's a lot of things I cannot do. So in this present season, I have to make choices on what I do with my time. But in a few years' time, please Jesus, then we're going to be free to do whatever. But for you today, there are certain things that are okay now that will not be okay in another season and will be again. And so it's up to you to ask the Spirit of God. And one thing I feel really practical in this is that we learn how to make tough decisions through accountability to someone that we know, someone that we trust, someone that we love. And to illustrate this, I was, I was reading a book about some of these decisions. And this guy was saying, we, we, we used to go to a beach every summer when there was nobody else there, uh, before the boom, and it was down in Miami. And we drove for miles and miles along the beach with a caravan. And whenever we got to a certain point, this is me talking as if it was me, uh, in the story, uh, or on the beach, we decided to put up tent, and we went for a swim. But the problem was there was an undertow. And an undertow doesn't bring you out. An undertow brings you down. And so what he said was that we would swim out, and then we would look up and go, my goodness, our parents just left us. But what we realized was that without noticing, the current had brought us to somewhere else. 
And so what his father decided to do was, whenever they're going to get stones and we're going to build a big pile up this high, and so whenever you drift a certain amount, you will look at the stones, and when you come in line with the stones, you know, listen, you need to get out, and you need to go back to where you started. It was a reference point. And so it's very important to us as Christians to deal with guilt, to deal with shame, to make the right decision that we have a reference point with someone who knows us well to say, listen, you're drifting a wee bit. And I'm concerned and you need to come back to where you were. And so if you don't have that today, you need to get someone in your life. And it's not always good to have it as your wife or husband. Someone that can really truthfully speak to you that you're not going to fight back with. Number three, and this is the last one, is your future. In light of my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise choice? You know that most people's dreams don't come true. And the reason is because we make the wrong decisions. We rob ourselves. We don't believe what God has spoken over us. You know, one of the advice that, I, that I've been given to people if they've received prophetic words and they really believe it to be true, I say, you know, a lot of the time God will give you something that's unattainable, number one, because he needs to be in it for it to be attained. And number two, because it's almost like a test where he's saying, this is what can be, and are you going to respond in the physical as well? If he's calling you to be a great leader, are you going to respond? And, and are you going to start every day saying, God, what do I need to do to become this person of the future? And I don't mean it in a striving sense. But God calls us sometimes to respond in the physical. And so most people don't realize their dreams because they make decisions in the moment that will impact their future. We've all done it. And do you know what else happens? The future can bring today's choices into focus. Just like I said, no one plans to go out and make bad decisions in their lives. But I guarantee if you ask you people that struggle with different things, that when you see them 30 years down their line, they will tell you, if I could have seen that it would end up like this. And so that's why we need to make the right decisions in the, in the moment with the spirit of wisdom. But the key is living out of relationship with the Father. It's not just, we don't just make wise choices. We need to understand who we are because we're good at telling ourselves I'm not doing anything wrong. People do it all the time. I'm not hurting anyone. I can handle it. There's no law against it. Nobody's going to find out. Nothing's going to happen. But our behavior can affect generations in front of us. If you remember King David, um, King David was affected by Saul. And so in King David's latter days, his sons just done as they wanted and the reason was because David became passive and I was just like, it's okay, boys, you just do what you want. We've all been in you know, places where we've seen parents going, it's okay, you just wreck the place, no problem. I'll tidy it up after you. And so King David kind of became passive. It was like, it's okay, boys, I don't want to annoy you. And the reason was because Saul was so hard on him. The reason was because of Saul's effect on him and the decision Saul made. We all know, if you don't know the story of Saul, you need to read it, it's amazing. But the decisions that Saul made against David affected David's future responses in moments because he thought back, I do not want to be like him. And so your response in the moment can affect generations ahead of you with your family, with your grandkids, with your friends because they think back and go, I can't behave like that. I can't make the same decisions as the people before me. And so the spirit of wisdom, we need to ask and say, what is right for my future? What is right for my future? You know that all these things 
that pile up on us about guilt. They take up room. You know what? when you're struggling with guilt and pain, it consumes your thoughts. When I'm stressed, I get things in my hands and it comes out in me physically. I don't have any now, that's good. But it comes out in me physically and I can feel it mentally. And do you know what I realized? I was praying about it the other day. I felt God saying, it takes up room in you that I want. It takes a part of you that I want and that I need. And I don't want to ask for part of you. I'm asking for all of you. Because when I have all of you, you need to dare to dream what I want to do with you. And you know, most people that get lost, it's because they fail to see who they can be in Christ. If you don't have a vision of what you can be, then you're, going to, you're just going to die. God says, I have a vision of you that you don't even dare to dream of. And so these things that are holding you back, I long for you to give them to me. And I long for you to have faith, but I also long for you to actually care enough to actually make practical decisions in your daily life. And so change is hard, but change is intentional. And it takes a practical response from us, but it also takes us to have faith in the mercy and grace of Jesus. Not abusing grace, but living out of that who we are and our identity of Christ, that it brings godly sorrow. Say, God, in light of who you are, in light of who you're calling me to be, I can no longer live like this. Hebrews 10.22 says this. And the precursor for it is that the curtain is torn too and we're invited in to talk one-to-one with the Father. It says, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean and our bodies have been washed with pure water. So let's do it. Full of belief, full of confidence that we're presentable inside and out don't need our mummy to wipe a tissue with her spit and rub it off us because he says, I just want you the way you are. I want you to imagine and dream what can be of your life if I have all of you. And to finish off, Jenny, you want to come up? I'm going to read Psalm 1. And I want to give you time because I want to give you time to respond to this for a few minutes. Because it took me long enough. I was even crying this morning. The boys were watching some movie and I had earphones on listening to music and it was it was more tears of joy. And I looked up, hope my eyes and Ruben was standing. What's wrong, my daddy? But I want my kids to see that I'm vulnerable. I want them to see that soft, tender side. Because I've shown them enough of the harsh, shouting side. And I don't want their view of God to be what I project onto them. And so Psalm 1 says this. Overflowing joy comes to those who follow God's ways. They won't walk in step with the wicked nor snare the sinner's way or be found sitting in the scorner's seat. Their pleasure and passion is remaining true to the word of I am. Meditating each and every moment in the revelation of light, they will be standing firm like a flourishing tree planted by God's design. They will be standing firm like a flourishing tree planted by God's design. Deeply rooted by the brooks of bliss, bearing fruit in every season of their lives. Bearing fruit in every season of their lives. They are never dry, never fainting, ever blessed, ever plentiful. What 
and indescribable joy. And so what I want to do is I want to just respond to the Father by saying, God, I long for it. Do you ever go home at night and you think, if only people knew me? And God says, I do, love, I do know you and I love every single bit of you. And I have so much more for you. But instead of just listening on a Sunday and forgetting 80% of it by, by Wednesday, I want you to remember the keys. Who you are, what you need to do in response to who you are, and what you need to do practically to that. And so I just want to take a few minutes for us to confess our sins to him. Don't shout it out. You, may, you can shout it out if you want. But get rid of that guilt and shame that burdens you down. And get ready to soar because we're coming to a, a place in history, a time in history, where God's not just calling the professional preachers or the people that went to Bible college. He's saying it's every single one, you and me. I have positioned you uniquely where you are. Don't think you're in the wrong place because I'll tell you if you're in the wrong place and I'll give you that, the guidance and direction of where I want you to be. I want to use you right now. I want to use you with the people that are around you. I want you to stop making excuses. I want you to stop living in the guilt of the past. And I want you to live in the freedom that you're called to. And I want to remind you that if you know me, I've held your hand and walked you through the gates to meet my father. To say, this is our new son or daughter. Who I'm pleased with, who I love. And who I died on the cross for so that they could get rid of guilt and shame. My grace is enough and my grace covers all. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We release it to you, Lord. We release it to you, Lord.